0: Welcome to JourneyWithJesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, When You See These Things. It's based upon the lectionary readings for December 2nd, 2018, the first Sunday in Advent. In his beautiful book of contemplation, In the Shelter, poet and theologian Padre Gotuma asks a question I've been thinking about now for several weeks. How do we say hello to here? That is, How do we live honestly in our own skins? How do we accept what's right in front of us? How do we guard against numbness, denial, and despair? In his opening chapter, Otuma describes the challenge. Much of our desire to not name a place is because we fear that in naming it, we are giving it power. And by giving it power, we are saying we may not escape. It's a valid fear. There are some suburbs of hell that we wish we'd never visited. To name something and be to call it into being, and we do not wish to call certain things into any kind of being. In our gospel reading for this first week of Advent, Jesus challenges us to name and welcome the here, even when the here is perilous. In prophetic language, it sounds distressingly contemporary. Jesus describes a world reeling in pain, roaring seas, distress among nations, people fainting in fear. When you see these things, Jesus says, don't turn away. Don't remain anesthetized. Instead, welcome the here. Why? Because it's only when we embrace reality, when we acknowledge and welcome the here of human suffering, that we experience the nearness of God. I didn't grow up observing Advent. My childhood church didn't follow the liturgical calendar. So the holiday lineup I remember went straight from Thanksgiving turkeys and pumpkin pies to Christmas trees and jingle bells one consumer-feeding frenzy pressing hard into the next. But as I've moved deeper into the liturgical tradition, I've come to love the holy season we're now entering. I love that the church begins its new year when the days are still getting darker. I love that the season rejects shallow sentimentality and false cheer. And I love that the gospel gets us started this week with images, not of swaddling clothes, twinkly stars, and fleecy lambs, but of the world as it really is here and now gorgeous, fragile, and falling apart. American novelist Flannery O'Connor once wrote, to the heart of hearing you shout, and for the almost blind you, lo- you draw large and startling figures. That's precisely what Jesus does in his prophetic wake-up call to hear. He shouts, he draws startling figures, and uses every rhetorical device at his disposal to snap his listeners to attention. Be on guard, he warns his disciples. Be alert, Stand up and raise your heads. Look. These aren't the soothing, saccharine invitations we like to accept as we decorate Christmas trees. But as Episcopal priest Fleming Rutledge reminds us, Advent begins in the dark. It is not a season for the faint of heart. Whether we like it or not, the invitations Advent offers us are hard-edged. They don't look pretty on greeting cards. But they are essential and life-giving, nevertheless. They help us to say hello to here. They help us to find redemption in the most startling places. Here are some of the Advent invitations I'm reflecting on this week. 1. The invitation to tell the truth. Advent is a brutally candid season. It calls for honesty, even when honesty leads us straight to lamentation. In Advent, we are invited to describe life on earth as it is, and not as we mistakenly assume our religion requires us to render it. We are invited to shout forth our pain and bewilderment, to name the seeming absence of God, to draw the large, startling figures of the apocalypse. Eschewing all forms of denial, polite piety, and cheap cheer, we are invited to allow the radical honesty of Scripture to make us honest too. We are asked to stop posturing and pretending, to come to the end of ourselves, to get real. Advent reminds us that we are not called to an escapist, denial-based piety. We are called to dwell courageously in the truth. Two, the invitation to yearn. That is, to name the here of our desires without shame or reservation. Advent is a season when longing makes sense, when it's okay to say that we are hungry, thirsty, lonely, empty, unfinished, or unhoused. In Advent, we want, and we want fiercely. We sit in the darkness longing for light. We sit in exile longing for home. We sit with aching, empty arms, waiting to cradle the life that's still unformed, still hidden, still in process. In Advent, our desire for God strains towards God's desire for us. Between the clinging and the yearning, we are unmade, remade, and unmade again. Three, the invitation to wait. During Advent, we live with quiet anticipation in the not yet. Yet. This is no easy task in the modern world which applauds arrivals, finish lines, shortcuts, and end products far more than it does the meandering journey or odd way station. Eugene Peterson called the Christian life a long obedience in the same direction. And I don't think we can get more countercultural than that. If the secular world speeds past darkness to the safe certainty of light, then Advent reminds us that necessary things, things worth waiting for, happen in the dark. Next spring, seeds break open in dark winter soil. God's spirit hovers over dark water, preparing to create worlds. The child we wait for grows in the deep darkness of the womb. Our food is expectation, writes Nora Gallagher about Advent. In this season, we strive to find not perfection, but possibility. Four, the invitation to notice, to attend, to look. Look at the fig tree, Jesus says. Look at all the trees. Be attentive to the details. Don't theologize. Don't revel in abstraction. Don't assume that God is present only in creed, theory, and doctrine. Look at the sprouting leaves. Notice the changing sky. Attend to the mighty movements of the oceans and the tiny movements of your soul and spirit. The God who shows up in a teenager's womb might show up anywhere. Pay attention. Five, the invitation to imagine. In Advent, we are called to hope creatively, to hope against the grain. Or as Barbara Brown Taylor puts it, we are called to trust that darkness does not come from a different place than light. It is not presided over by a different God. With our imaginations, we can hold in tension the grief of our circumstances and the compassionate justice of God. With our imaginations, we can take the long view, even as we dwell concretely in the here and now. So, how do we say hello to here? We begin, Padre Gotuma writes, by admitting that the rotten fruit of illusion rarely fills for long. Advent is the antidote to illusion. It cuts to the chase, it insists on the truth, it lays us bare. Advent invites us to dwell richly in the here, precisely because here is where God dwells when the oceans heave, the ground shakes, and our hearts are gripped by fear. When you see these things, Jesus says, hope fiercely and live truthfully, Deep in the gathering dark, something tender continues to grow. Yearn for it, wait for it, notice it, imagine it. Something beautiful, something for the world's saving, waits to be born. For books this week, Dan reviews Ngugi Wationgo's Wrestling with the Devil, a prison memoir. Around midnight on December 30th, 1977, the Kenyan writer Ngugi Wationgo was arrested and then jailed in the notorious Kamiti Maximum Security Prison, a former lunatic asylum. There was no trial or even any formal charges. His crime? The government took exception to his new play, I Will Marry When I Want, that Tiango had written and performed in his home village at the Kamitiro Community Education and Cultural Center, using peasants and workers as actors and co-writers, and the purpose of which was to expose the general bourgeois educational system, the play was a commercial success, but the Kenyan government shut it down after six weeks and imprisoned Tiango. This newest book is an edited version of his earlier memoir called Detained, a writer's prison diary, that describes his year in jail. He takes his rightful place among the likes of Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and many other authors of prison literature. It was in prison that Tiango made his final decision to abandon English as his primary language and to embrace his mother tongue of Gikuyu. Although the memoir contained extended critiques of colonial Kenya under British rule and the continuity of the colonial and of the post-colonial period that followed, the particular focus of the book is a novel that Tiango wrote on toilet paper during his imprisonment, the first modern novel in Gikuyu. That novel was later translated into English as Devil on the Cross. Writing the novel while in prison, he says, was his primary means of spiritual battle, his act of defiance against the bestial purposes of the state. I offer this re version of my experience of survival in a maximum security prison as a testimony to the power of the imagination, he writes. The power of imagination to help humans break free of confinement is truly the story of all art. After prison, Tiango was forced into exile due to death threats and his inability to get a job under the regime of Daniel Arap Moy. After 10 years at New York University, he became the Distinguished Professor of English and Comparative Literature at the University of California, Irvine. His prolific output of over 30 novels, plays, short stories, essays, memoirs, children's books, and allegory, with translations into 30 languages, has generated speculation about him as a candidate for the Nobel Prize in Literature. For Movies This Week, Dan reviews Earthrise. Fifty years ago this month, on December 21, 1968, the Apollo 8 crew of Frank Borman, Bill Anders, and James Lovell blasted off from the Kennedy Space Center. Their historic voyage is remembered for many things, like being the first human beings to escape the orbit of the Earth, the first three people to observe the Earth from space, and traveling 240,000 miles to within 60 miles of the surface of the Moon, farther than anyone had ever traveled into space. But beyond their amazing accomplishments of science and engineering, Apollo 8 is really remembered for another first, the first color photograph of the Earth. As they orbited the moon, they happened to observe, out their small window, the little blue marble of our Earth rise above the lunar horizon. They quickly snapped a photo, and what later became known as Earthrise remains one of the most iconic images ever in all of its haunting beauty and mystery. As one of the astronauts observed, they should have sent the poets— for science alone could never capture what they experienced in that view of our Earth, bright blue with patches of brown and white clouds and no boundaries or borders. In this 24-minute New York Times op-doc, the composer and filmmaker Emmanuel Vaughan Lee interviews the three astronauts and stitches together an awe-inspiring visual narrative of that singular moment in human history. And finally, for poetry, for this first Sunday in Advent, Advent Credo by Alan Bozak. It is not true that creation and the human family are doomed to destruction and loss. This is true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It is not true that we must accept inhumanity and discrimination, hunger and poverty, death and destruction. This is true. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. It is not true that violence and hatred should have the last word, and that war and destruction rule forever. This is true. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting, the Prince of Peace. It is not true that we are simply victims of the powers of evil who seek to rule this world. This is true to me is given authority in heaven and on earth, and lo, I am with you, even until the end of the world. It is not true that we have to wait for those who are specially gifted, who are the prophets of the church before we can be peacemakers. This is true. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall have dreams." It is not true that our hopes for liberation of humankind, of justice, of human dignity, of peace, are not meant for this earth and for this history. This is true. The hour comes and it is now that the true worshipper shall worship God in spirit and in truth. So let us enter Advent in hope, even hope against hope. Let us see visions of love and peace and justice. Let us affirm with humility, with joy, with faith, with courage, Jesus Christ, the life of the world. Thank you for joining us at JourneyWithJesus.net for December 2nd, 2018. I'm Debbie Thomas.